listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. I want to um, first just uh, say hello. I, it feels amazing out here. feels like spring is upon us and uh, changing of the seasons, get outside, all that stuff. Um, I, I want you to go ahead and turn on me in your Bibles. That, that was my segue to, uh, here we go. Um, <laughs> I'm a kind of guy that, uh, you know, you kind of tell a lot about your personality by how you eat a blow pop, you know, one of the suckers. I'm the guy that goes right to the gum. Who else goes right in? That'll tell you about your personality right there. Rest of y'all just kind of enjoy it. <laughs> savoring it. Just savoring it. I don't savor. I go on in. I want the, f I'd rather have one encounter. One just just explosion of all the flavors right into gum. <laughs> all right, that's the first note I want you to take today. Don't change your life. All right. Okay. Um, it's a tall stand right here, man. Um, <laughs> all right, all right. Um, I want to. Uh, I want to build on a, a message that I gave about a month ago. Hey, Roll, how you doing? Um, about a month ago, I gave a message on beholding out of 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we've been talking about it. I know Jeremy followed up, did messages on it, and I want to do step two of that message. Can, uh, can you put up here 2 Corinthians 3.18? So I did a whole message about this. I'm convinced that this is probably one of the most important discipleship verses for a New Testament believer. Okay, let me say that again. I believe this... This, may, this summarizes all of Paul's and I believe Jesus's methodology of how people get changed. You know, and Ryan, I, I love that because this just consumed me early. That was so beautiful looking at our prophetic history. And uh, that, that's really something that's touched me deeply. Christianity is not trying harder. It's looking at Jesus more. Okay, okay. Christianity is not trying harder. Most of us come to the new year and we're like, I got to do better. That means I got to tighten up and we treat our walk with the Lord. And I, and I do believe in the power of discipline and figuring out places to encountering them and being intentional. But at the end of the day, you don't get changed by trying harder. You get changed by looking at him more. Because the power and the grace is not found in your willpower. It's found in the light of his countenance touching you. The revelation of Jesus touching you is what changes you, is what delivers you of fear, is what delivers you of shame, what delivers you of pride, what delivers you of lust, and all of the different things we think, stop it, stop it, stop it, and that we can't do it. We do it by beholding Jesus, and this is the great verse, and guys, I cannot overemphasize this verse. We all, everybody say we all. we all. Okay, so there's, for years I only looked at that as an individual devotional verse, but there's also dimensions of a corporate beholding. Corporate beholding, doing, that's why we have a prayer room at the heart of this, of this family is that we believe that the ceiling is lifted when we do it together. And that there's actually an increase of revelation that we experience together than what I even experience individually. All right, and so that's a massive point right there. We all, with unveiled face, 
Okay, the veil is taken away in Christ. No more veils, no more hindrances. And, and Paul, just for uh, catching you guys up, he's contrasting Moses' encounter on Mount Sinai where Moses came down the mountain holding the Ten Commandments and his face was shining so bright he had to put a veil over his face because he was blinding all the people who were looking at him. And Paul is going to contrast that by saying that was a fading glory. That was an old glory. That was a lesser covenant. And now the Lord is the spirit. And he goes, the veil has been taken away in Christ. And Moses' encounter was glorious. I mean, it's pretty stinking amazing. You got to check it out. But it only touched the outside and it was fading. The glory of the new covenant is it's now inside and it's ever increasing. That's the contrast right there. We all with unveiled face. And here is the word, guys, if you want to get one word written on the core of your being, it's beholding. Beholding. All right. It's beholding. And a lot of us think, okay, awesome. We're going to look at him. But this is the thing as in a mirror. The ancient world mirrors were dim. They weren't perfect reflection, which means this. Though it's not the full ecstatic, elevating, levitating encounter every time. Every time you look at God and every time you behold him, though it's small, it's weak, and sometimes not that awesome. Every time you do it, look at this, you are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There is a, a principle in Scripture called beholding becoming. Whatever you look at is what you become. Isn't that true with everything else? Whatever you look at the most is what fills up real estate on your thought life, your emotional chemistry, and usually your actions, whether rooted in faith or fear, follow what you've been looking at the most. That's how God's designed us. That's how God's wired us. And now we have the glory of the indwelling spirit on the inside of us. My goodness, guys, it's a good day. And you have an invitation to be explorers. To, we're, we're on, we're, we're, you know, sometimes you get, you kind of get sad. My buddy Alan talks about how it always gets sad because all the cool stuff's already been explored. You know, even getting people up there on, on the moon, and but everybody's explored everything down here, and we're not in the Christopher Columbus generation. We're not in the Lewis and Clark generation. We, we got people that have gone to the moon, and yet, guys, I want to tell you, there is a place that has yet to be discovered. There is a terrain. There is geography, and it's called the man Christ Jesus. And he is waiting to be discovered by people who are fascinated and filled with wonder and glory. And there's an invitation given to every one of us jacked up folk who are barely making it, barely getting by, but yet I want to know more about Jesus. And he says, well, come on then. Come on. Open your Bible. Put your hand on your spirit. And let's explore. <laughs> good. That was good. Thank you, Corey. All right. Revelation 1. Turn to Revelation 1. I want you to, I want to, I want to camp out, and, and I'm not kidding. I want to camp out in the single most, the single chapter in the Bible that gives us the most detailed revelation of Jesus. 
And not only just Jesus, but resurrected Jesus. In two weeks in this room, we're going to celebrate Easter. Resurrection Sunday. Is that right? Yep. All right, good. Resurrection Sunday. Wanted to make sure we didn't do, do something else. <laughs> and, and we're going to celebrate. You know, death could not hold you. The veil torn before you. Silence the boast and gray. Resurrected King Jesus. Broke the power of sin. Can, can we talk about it other than Easter? Is that okay? All right, I just get a little nervous. He broke the power of sin, the grave, Satan and sickness, and he's triumphant. He is the king, the Lord, the Lord of glory, the resurrected one. Hallelujah. He's not in a tomb anymore. He's not on a cross anymore. He's raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. Hallelujah. All glory and dominion and power be to this man. Ooh. <laughs> Hallelujah. We got to sing that song. All right. The last book of the Bible is not called the revelation of Satan. It's not called the revelation of the Antichrist. The revelation of seals, trumpets, and bowls. <laughs> Can somebody read and tell me what's the first verse of the last book of the Bible? The revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's the unveiling of who this man is in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty, in all of his wisdom, and his plan to eradicate wickedness from the earth and to establish his kingdom on this earth. Hallelujah. Revel yeah, I get excited too. Revelation 1 is stunning, and I want to just... Let's just go on a little journey, okay? Can we, can we read it today? I love it. Just go ahead and go to verse 2. So we're going to be running. This is the only book, verse 3. There we go. Blessed. Everybody say blessed. blessed. We're going to get a blessing, a threefold blessing to he who reads, hears, and keeps the things that are written in this book. For the time is near, says the Lord. There's no other book in the Bible that you actually get a blessing for reading it. So if you were to put on your audio Bible after you get into the car and start listening to it, by the time you get home, you're blessed. <laughs> All right. So this is just to give you a little bit of context. The apostle John is about to get a, get an encounter with Jesus. 60 years earlier, he laid his head on his chest and found out who the betrayer was. He was there in the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. He was there holding Mary as Jesus died on the cross, and then he would encounter Jesus for the 40 days after the resurrection, but it had been pretty much since about 60 years since they'd been together. All right, last time they were really close hanging out, and John is about to see Jesus. John has been exiled to this little island off of Greece called Patmos. It's kind of a slave camp to where he had been exiled to. History tells us that they tried to kill him, He'd been boiled in oil twice and they couldn't kill him. The guy wouldn't die. And so he's about 90 years old. He's been exiled to this island and he is about to see his best friend, his God and his Lord in a whole new way that's going to absolutely wreck him. And I would say this is what resurrected Jesus looks like. 
okay? We're going to see it, verse uh, 5. Go to verse 5. Well, no, let's just keep reading it. Go, go to verse 4. I'll mess it up. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, and we're going we're to see in 2 and 3 that there's going to be seven letters to seven churches. They are all in modern-day Turkey. They're historical churches. And John, as the apostolic leader over these churches, is going to get a message for each one of them. That's 2 and 3. I love that the first words out of the book of Revelation is grace and peace. Grace and peace. Power and peace is upon you. Shalom between heaven and what we're going to see from the very beginning is that both the Father, the Spirit, and the Son are in your corner and are speaking grace and peace to you. It says from him who is, was, and is to come. You can call him Abba. Number two, the seven spirits who are before his throne. And then number three, here we go. And from Jesus Christ. There's around 24 aspects of beauty of Jesus in Revelation 1. 24 aspects of Jesus' beauty. Everybody say faithful witness. I've been meditating on a verse. Can you throw up 1 Timothy 6, 13? To, I just want to, I've been meditating on the point, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Even as we're coming into Easter weekend, when Jesus stood silent before Pontius Pilate, Pilate was absolutely blown away with the fact Jesus would not defend himself. And the times he did, he was affirming who he was. I am the truth. He went into the talks about truth. He affirmed to him, I am who you say I am, but my kingdom's not of this world. Jesus was a faithful witness before Pilate, even by what he didn't say. He was a faithful witness. That's where we get the word martyr is the same word for witness. And Jesus is, the, we can go back to Revelation. Jesus is the faithful witness. He was faithful before the Sanhedrin. He was faithful before Pontius Pilate. And he was faithful unto death. He did not shrink back. He did not defend himself. He didn't use his power to pull himself off that cross. He was faithful unto death. Who is grateful that he loved us to the end? He is. He's a faithful witness. Friends, I want to tell you, this is how beholding impacts you. You're like, okay, this is cool. We're going to look at Jesus. This is what talks you out of giving up. Meditating on this aspect of Jesus is what keeps you from shrinking back, from the fear of man, from the fear of, of what people think about you. When you feel that thing coming at you, what you do to realign your soul is you go to Revelation 1.5 and you say the phrase, Jesus, you are the faithful witness. Impart that reality into my spirit. Make me a true witness at work. Make me a true witness at home. Make me a true witness that wouldn't shrink back from what others think about me. That I wouldn't defend myself when other people are talking about me. This is how you behold. It's not just some ethereal, we're there and just seeing things. No, we're opening our Bible and we're beholding truths in Jesus. And it's the power of saying those things that actually transforms you. That's how you get transformed. That's how you get talked out of giving up. Jesus, you could stay steady. I can stay steady. When I want to give up on a marriage, you didn't give up. You loved me to the end. I'm going to love my wife till the end. 
I'm going to love my children to the end. I'm going all the way in. And you don't get it by mustering up willpower. You look at him. Not only was he the faithful witness, he's the firstborn from the dead. He died. He went into that grave and I love it. He's the firstborn, which means this. He is the first fruits of many that are going to follow him out of the grave. Friends, he came up out of that grave. Do you know what that signifies for every one of us? If you die or any of your loved ones die at the sound of the last trumpet, bodies are going to come out of graves. That's the glory of the gospel. Bodies coming out of graves. Eternal life. Throwing on immortality and living forever with Jesus. We're getting delivered from the fear of death. He's the firstborn, which means this. He ain't, he's, not the he's the first among many. And number three, he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. All right, each one of those are oceans. Look at this. I love this. Everybody say, to him who loved us, washed us, and made us. He loved us. He washed us, and he made us. Jesus, you loved me. And you washed me from my sins in your own blood. And you made us a kingdom of priests. Next verse. To our God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I love to meditate on the God who loved me. The God who washed me. And the God who made me. He doesn't just make it. He's not just saving us so we can be his cheerleading section. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. He goes, I love being thanked, but I want you to step into everything that I designed you to be from the beginning. I want you to be my heir and my co-heir forever. You're my ruling bride and I've made you into something. I've created you into something that was lost at the fall and I've restored it now. I've made you a kingdom of priests. Kings and priests, a kingdom of priests, which means out of intimacy, you rule. Out of intimacy with me, you rule at home. You rule at work. You rule over wherever you walk, wherever your feet tread. You are ruling and you are releasing a kingdom in that very place. The rule of the King Jesus. Why, my goodness. So he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father. I love to think about you made us. Later on in Revelation 5, they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open his seals for you were slain. You've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people. And you have made us a kingdom of priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds. <laughs> How did he go up to heaven in a cloud? What the angels say when they were looking up? Why are you looking up? Because we're not used to this stuff. We're not used to seeing people get caught up with clouds and taken up there. Clouds is heaven's primary vehicle. That's a statement that Jesus is the Daniel 7 son of man who will receive all the kingdom and the glory and the dominion. He's coming with clouds. The angel said in the same way he went up, so he's coming down again. So he's coming down again. Friends, lift up your eyes. The study of the end times and the expectation of the coming of Jesus doesn't steal from present day labors. It actually invigorates and actually makes valuable my present day labors. It makes me engage harder. 
Are y'all with me today? No, it doesn't steal. It doesn't produce a bunch of prepping and running into caves and getting more water and toilet paper. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 gives us the gospel and spends the majority of the chapter talking about the glory of our resurrected bodies. And what's his last verse? Therefore, he goes, labor knowing that your labor is not in vain. Go to work, clock in, and do it with a glad spirit and a faithful spirit, knowing that what you're doing now is not in vain, but that it's going to live forever. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Look at verse 8. Jesus is going to talk for the first time in the book. He doesn't say, hey, what's up? How you doing? I'd like to introduce myself. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Say it. Just say it. Jesus. Look at him now. Say, Jesus, you are the Alpha. You are the Omega. So this is what I do in beholding. What is the Alpha and what is the Omega? It's the, it's the Greek letters, the first and the last of the Greek letters of the alphabet. And Jesus is saying, I am the beginning and I am the end. And then I ask myself a second question. What does that revelation do for me? What... How does the revelation that Jesus is the beginning and the end, how does, that, how does that affect my today's life? What does it deliver me from? What does it embolden in me? And why do I need to draw on this revelation? Okay, now we're in class. Okay, we got students in here. Why? Why would you think Alpha and Omega would help John on the island of Patmos about to get the book of Revelation? Why do you think? I'm serious. We're in class. It's exactly right. He's all encompassing. There's nothing that's come outside of his purview. Nothing that's come outside of his overguiding leadership and sovereignty over everything. And that you are hidden within him. That you consist, is what he tells us in Colossians, in him. That there is nothing outside of his purview, but that all things are bringing together glory. God is going to use great presence and great pressure to produce a bride out of every tribe, tongue, and people. He is the Alpha, and he is the Omega. He is the first and the last who is, was, and is to come. Normally it would say was, is, is to come. Why does it state his presentness? First, what is the revelation about Jesus's presentness with you now, where you're at, that boldens your heart to know he's with me now and he's got Genesis and Revelation on his resume? The God who's with me now has Genesis and Revelation on his resume and he's divested his resources and his passion and his love and his commitment and his grace and his peace to walk with me through whatever storm I'm in the middle of right now. Friends, that's how you get impacted by this. It's not just waiting for that good song to come on the radio to get you through another hard day. 
I'm grateful for the good song that comes out sovereignly, but God's given us his word. Of course, feed on this. I'm with you. Verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. I'm on the island of Patmos. Oh, this is my favorite, my favorite. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. All right, so I want you to picture it like this. John's right here. All right, all right, picture this. John's right here. He's facing this direction. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Okay? He's facing this way. Here's a voice like a trumpet. Here's the verse. Saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches. And we have the seven churches. Look at verse 12. I love verse 12. <clears throat> then I turned. Everybody say, I turned. Turn. Say it again. Okay, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and note he didn't see until he turned. And having turned, I saw. I want to give a call to Upper Room Frisco that so many times you can hear voices behind you. You can hear messages behind you. It can touch you. You might be able to even state what you've heard. And it's one thing to be able to recite and hear somebody else talk about Jesus or be around the things of Jesus, but it goes from a whole nother reality from you just hearing the voice and turning for yourself, reorienting your life so that the revelation you've heard now becomes yours. Whenever God, hear me, whenever God wants to issue you into a new season of revelation, there's always a fresh turning. Whenever there's a new season, it's an invitation and it will always be prepared with the setting apart of prayer, fasting, setting apart. It's not about earning it. It's about honoring what you're about to get and protecting you because humility is what accesses the mysteries, accesses the spirit of revelation. I turn to see the voice. Sometimes whenever there's a fresh season, there'll be something you need to turn away from. A substance, a person, a thing, a place. It will require a fresh consecration of season. Number two, turning within. Turning to the indwelling spirit. Number three, turning to other people who are going after the same thing instead of hanging out with people that want to do as little as they can and stay saved. I'm not, I need friends. And that's why I love this house. I need friends that are singing my song back to me when I forget it. Who are pushing me into God, into the more of God versus what's the least amount we can do and get into heaven. I'm not living for that. Friends, I want to drink deeply of eternal rivers of pleasure and joy and gladness. And I want to encounter him. I don't want to just live on the fringes. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse in the world than living between two places. I, there's some statement that I, I can't think about it, but you're living in. There's nothing worse. I'd say go all in or go all out, but go all in. <laughs> I turned to see the voice and having turned, isn't it interesting that he doesn't see the one speaking? You ever thought about that? He doesn't see the one speaking, but what does he see? Seven lampstands, and we're going to find out those are the seven churches. You know what that tells me? That we don't see the one yet? 
we find out that the one speaking is in the middle of the church. We got a lot of people that are hard on the church today saying Jesus is done with the church. But I want to tell you right now, he's not the prophet. You know what you're about to read in Revelation 2 and 3? These are some jacked up folk. Some people with lots of weirdness, lots of messed up issues, idolatry, immorality. And you know what? I love Jesus. He's right there in the middle of it. He's not the prophet out there on a hill just releasing woes on him. We're about to find that he's the intercessor in the middle of them. Saying, yeah, they got some stuff, but, they're, but I'm with them as their intercessor. And I'm going to bring them through into the fullness of God. I love because Jesus is building his church. Ephesians 5, he will present to himself, what kind of church? Glorious church. Look at verse 13, and I'm going to quickly run through this. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. Can you see him? He's robed in those priestly garments. He is our intercessor. He is our representation before the throne. And he's representing you before the throne. And he's representing all of us before the Father. Friends, I want you to know this is who he is in the middle of your life. He is your intercessor. He is your high priest. And he's not intimidated by your recent issues. He's an intercessor, and he, which means this, he's stubborn in a good way. <laughs> Do you know Isaiah 42 says he doesn't get discouraged? Think about that. Jesus does not get discouraged concerning your life, concerning his plan, it says in Isaiah 42, to bring forth justice to the nations. He does not get discouraged. I'll never forget it. We had an awakening. We were in Kansas City for 18 years, and we had an awakening for about 10 months. And one of the nights of the awakening, one of our girls, one of the prophetic girls saw a vision. She was driving in a car, and she looked in the back seat. She saw Jesus in the back seat, back passenger side. And she saw the bride, dirty, ugly garments, completely wrecked, ugly. And she's laying in Jesus's lap. And Jesus has his hand, and he's massaging her heart. That's all he's doing is massaging her heart. And the girl having the vision looked back and goes, oh, my goodness, she looks rough. <laughs> thought it. She just thought it to herself. Jesus answered her thoughts and says, you should have seen her when I found her. You should have seen her when I found her. He goes, I'm going to keep speaking to her heart and massaging her heart until it starts beating again. Until she becomes one again, until she enters into everything that I died for. I'm grateful for that. He's coming after you. He paid a high price for you. And he's going to take those ugly garments and they're going to shine. They're going to be glorious garments. You're going to fall in love with him and you're going to love him more than anything else. Matthew 22 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the greatest prophecy in the word of God. Stronger than your fear and your shame and your guilt is there's going to come an ocean of love for the son of man out of your life. 
You shall love him. You are the father's wedding gift to Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know you're going to love Jesus the way the father loves Jesus? You know why I know? Because Jesus prayed for it. And Jesus always gets his prayers answered. Oh, the intercessor. All right, we go off on that forever. But let's talk about his leadership. Look at the next verse. Every one of these aspects. His head and hair white like wool, as white as snow. Okay. All right, we're getting direct references from Daniel 7, the ancient of days right here. The head and hair white like wool. These are direct references to Jesus' leadership, his wisdom, his purity, and his guidance over us individually and us globally. Here's something that I want you to start telling Jesus. Tell him he's a good leader. Here's, one, here's a good one. I'll never forget it. Hadassah, I got my youngest one over here. We got a 22, 19, and 11. And she don't remember this. She came, I was in a just funky place one day. She came up, got my lap. She says, Dad, you're doing a good job. <laughs> you ever had that one? That'll wreck you. Do you ever tell God he's doing a good job? Because most of our complaining is a secret statement. If I were you, I would do it different. I would not have me on the back 40 for this long with all these amazing gifts I got. I'd have done open up 10 doors and my ministry would be in full function right now if I were you. he's not presently what he's doing in your life and his leadership in your life isn't he doesn't see it a waste of time to to work some things out in you for a decade because he's preparing you for millions of years no no i'm not playing he's thinking with eternity in mind and his brilliant leadership just enough of the north winds, just enough of the south winds, just enough of the presence and the pressure and the glory to drive you into God and into each other. He's brilliant and he's doing this with billions of people across the earth and he's doing it with the whole globe to prepare it to give it to his son. He's doing it. His brilliance, his brilliance, he's wise. Oh, he's stunning. See, that's just one aspect. That's just his head. I love Song of Solomon 5. Girl goes through all that stuff and the daughters of Jerusalem going, why are you going through this? And then in Song of Solomon 5, 10 through 16, she goes, have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? And she says his head's like the finest gold. <laughs> this is my beloved and my friend. We're going to fall in love with this man. We got, huh? Huh? We got newlyweds in here? Any, any newlyweds? Come on. Yeah, y'all get it. Y'all get to claim that. That's right. All of us. This is what happens with newlyweds when love is fresh and touching. You can tell me everything about them. Every little idiosyncrasy, every little thing about them. Why? Because everything's highlighted. That's why you got to break it down. His head and hair, white like wool. But can I tell you the source of revival 
that's going to release revival in the American church. It's those eyes. Everybody say his eyes are like a flame of fire. That's going the source of revel that's the source of revival in the church of America. That's the source for revival in your personal life. Fire is stronger than your dull, insensitive, not feeling a lot heart. So you want to get on fire, you don't start going, I gotta get on fire. I gotta I gotta do something more. I gotta worship harder and dance harder. No, you just got to put your cold heart before the eyes of fire. And the fire in his eyes will tenderize you. The fire in his eyes will consume the chaff of dead religion. It will consume the shame of remembrancing things that you did in the past season. His fire consumes, it refines, it tenderizes. And it inflames. You know we're going to sing, and I know that your eyes are like flames of fire. Jesus, you're beautiful. There is none like you, Lord. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, you're beautiful. His feet. Let's just, I'm going to run through, and then we're going to pray. His feet, he knows when to step in, how to step in. And sometimes he'll step in to resist your sinful agendas. Who's grateful when he steps in? Because I want him to step in instead of step on. If you don't listen to him stepping in, sometimes you kind of fall on the rock or the rock falls on you. All right, his voice. Everybody say his voice. Go to the beach next time and hear it coming from every direction. That's what Jesus sounds like when he's talking to you. It's coming from every direction. It's creative power. We're going to keep going. Verse 16. He had in his right hand. Everybody hold your right hand out. I love John 10. No one's able to snatch anyone out of my father's hand. It's his care and his preservation of his people. I call it the vice grip of heaven. He's got me. His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. <laughs> now, 60 years earlier, John was laying his head on his chest. This one, he didn't lay his head on his chest. Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. <laughs> I love it. I love falling backwards. But we're about to learn how to fall forwards. He laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last, which means I got this. Keep going. Everybody stand. I'm going to read this last verse to you. This gets you ready here for Easter Sunday. I am he who lives. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Now check it out. Jesus says amen to his own preaching. You know it's good when you go, ooh, that's good, amen. Do you know Jesus, he'll reveal himself to one of the churches. He goes, I am the amen. One of Jesus' names is amen. <laughs> Not amen, amen. 
He's, his name is the amen. And I love this. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. I have the keys of Hades and of death. I came, I saw, I conquered. Acts 3 says it was not possible that Jesus should be held by death. He has keys. He has the key of David. He opens and no one shuts. Shuts, no one's opens. He owns the grave and death. What Jesus is saying right here is he's breaking the fear of death off his people. He's breaking off the fear of death. That when you read alarming things on your phones or on your tell you see alarming things on your television, we've been liberated from the fear of death. We've been liberated from the fear of death. We've been liberated from the fear of death. Open up your hands. I want to pray for you. And I want to go back into this song. I just want to sing at him and look at him. And I want to say, it's okay for your prayer life. In the next six months, you just walk around saying, Jesus, your eyes are like a flame of fire. That's okay with me if that's your prayer life for the next six months. If you say, Jesus, your head and hair is white like wool, that can be your prayer life for the next six months. It's okay. Then you go, what does that mean? You go, I don't know. Tell me, Holy Spirit. Oh. Oh. Spirit of revelation. Spirit of revelation. Fill this room right now. Spirit of revelation. We honor you. Holy Spirit, we honor you in this place right now. Your favorite thing to do is to glorify the man at the right hand of the Father. Take the things that belong to him and make them known to your people. The church at the end of the age, it says that her voice is going to sound like many waters. You know why? Because she's been feeding on the voice of many waters. Because whatever you look at long enough, it actually becomes a part of you. And you come into unity with them and you fall in love with this leadership. <laughs> oh Lord, I thank you on this birthday, this four-year birthday, God, I thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just lift your hands all over the room. Open heaven right now. Four years. Four years. Four years. Release a birthday gift, Holy Spirit. We're not going to try harder anymore. We're going to look at him more. Jesus, you're beautiful. Father, do what you love to do. Knock off scales. Knock off veils. Knock off confusion and lies. Break off accusation and break off, God, oppression. Break off depression. How? Deliverance. Release. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, yeah. Take a sit, team. Come on.